It's time for CBB 365 with your hosts, Adam Hipsky and Patrick Dallahan. All right, so we are in full swing of the college basketball season. Day six of games as the time this is being recorded. Uh, there's, it's been wild. A lot of big upsets, a lot of great games, some bad games if we're being real, but that's okay. That'll happen. It's early in the season. Guys are rusty, but it's been just awesome to have it back. Yeah, it's been loaded. We've had top 10 matchup, Gonzaga, Kansas. Uh, obviously, Baylor was in the Empire Classic, pulled out. Uh, so we still had a fun field there with uh, three, four good games uh, in Mohegan Sun. Bubbleville uh, is in full swing. We've got teams scheduling games now that they see that uh, the Bubbleville in Mohegan Sun is working. Uh, so like Patrick said, it's a fun time in college basketball. It's loaded. And uh, for only being on day six right now, uh, have a ton to talk about. So uh, just, just happy to have it back. Mm-hmm. And that being said, let's get right into it. Uh, obviously, the biggest game in the past week or so has been um, number one Gonzaga versus number six Kansas. Um, that was by far like the most star-studded game, I'd say. Star-powered yeah. game. Yeah, well, you know you're going to get that when you have two top ten teams. And uh, number one Gonzaga, they came to play. And I think now that we see – uh, obviously early in the season, but uh, after they're showing against Kansas, they look legit, and they've still got a handful more tests in non-conference play. West Virginia, Tennessee, Baylor, Iowa. Uh, so we've still got plenty of games that we get to see. Uh, Jalen Suggs, Drew Timmy, uh, Corey Kispert, but they, they were fun to watch. So I would say Gonzaga really uh, solidified their spot at number one. Uh, that's my main takeaway from their game against Kansas. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously someone that really stood out to me, the headband wearing, high scoring, good shooting, Corey Kispert uh, hit his 1,000th point in that game against Gonzaga. Really impressed me along with uh, Jalen Suggs, who had 24 points in his college debut and a poster as his first college college bucket. And his two games that he's played thus far, I think he's been the best French freshman in the country so far. Cade Cunningham obviously had an okay game against UT Arlington. Uh, wasn't that impressive. Uh, obviously had about 12 points, 10 points, and a lot of assists. Moved the ball well, but just made a lot of rookie mistakes, and I didn't see that from Jalen Suggs. Like Adam said during the um, the Auburn game was that you can't pressure him into making the wrong play. No, he looked, he looked like a, a seasoned vet, really, in his first ever game against Kansas. And to step up in that big of an atmosphere – uh, you know, neutral site, top 10 Kansas, first ever college game, uh, and to go drop 24 points and eight assists, you know, I was very impressed by Jalen Suggs. Uh, so we'll see. He had a great first couple of first couple of outings, but uh, we'll see more from him as the season progresses. Uh, he looks like a uh, top freshman of the season so far. But the other thing is just how – uh, Gonzaga has really developed this three-headed monster, and that's Drew Timmy, Corey Kisper, and Jalen Suggs. And they might be the best trio in college basketball. Uh, I would give the best duo in college basketball uh, down in Champaign to Ayo DeSumo and Kofi Coburn. But mm-hmm. uh, in terms of a trio, Drew Timmy, Corey Kisper, and Jalen Suggs are as good as it gets. Uh, combined for over 70 points 
uh, against Kansas. And if they can, can continue to put up those numbers all year long, uh, Gonzaga, Gonzaga will keep their number one rating. That's not even counting Joel Ayayi, who yeah, I was going to say who played really well against Kansas. Yeah, all four out of their five starters are in our um uh, are in our top fifty, correct? Yeah, I believe that's correct. That's insane. They have four players in the top fifty, and they have a bunch of other guys. They obviously have Andrew Nemhard, who just got cleared to play, who looked okay. Uh, he wasn't the greatest, but he's still dangerous enough to the point where teams have to pay attention to him. They have to give him the respect. Breaking he deserves. moves, breaking moves. Oh. Greg McGarity, athletic director at Georgia, has retired. Oh. Thank you for your service. John yes. Linehan's job is now in jeopardy. That is breaking moves. Thank you for that, Klein. Was that per release or was that per sources? That is per sources at The Athletic. Oh, uh, oh, David, oh, okay. Oh, well, then it's not per my sources. sources, but per someone else's sources. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, Joel Ayayi is in our top 50, and they have four top 50 guys in their starting lineup, which is unheard of. As good as Gonzaga looked, I don't think Kansas is very good. I don't, they only fell one spot after getting absolutely dominated the whole game. I just don't, they have Marcus Garrett, who obviously is going to take a step up. He's been known as one of the best defenders in college basketball, but he did take a big step up scoring wise this year. But Really, behind him, uh, I don't really feel like that they have a legitimate number two uh, score. Not really much star power. They're deep. Uh, Bryce Thompson coming off the bench. But uh, other than that, uh, they're not really much of a uh, impressive team so far from the eye test. Mm-hmm. I agree. Like, they don't have the bigs to be able to compete with a team like Gonzaga, who obviously very much – works in the post with the likes of Drew Timmy and they get, they got to the basket like at will, it seemed like. Yeah. And obviously that helps when you have Joel Ayayi and Jalen Suggs running the backcourt. Mm-hmm. So uh, regardless, still an impressive performance from Gonzaga. Uh, I love what Mark few did uh, with their non-conference slate uh, because they have tons of exciting games. Obviously the Tennessee one got canceled, uh, but still, West Virginia, uh, top 15 team. Baylor, who's still a top three team. Uh, and then in a couple weeks, Iowa. So uh, Gonzaga, who's ranked number one, is set to face off number two and number three in non-conference. So uh, major props to the Gonzaga basketball schedulers and uh, what they've done, obviously, playing in the WCC. Uh, they don't have as many uh, showdowns during conference season, but – uh, still able to get it done in non-conference and show that they are, uh, come tournament time, a worthy one or two seed. Mm-hmm. I think they will be a one or two seed by by March, but uh, that, that's irrelevant right now. But moving on, we had um, another great game with uh, ASU versus Villanova and the championship game of the 2K Empire Classic. Villanova obviously came away with the win. Josh Christopher had himself a game. That night, he had 28 points. Uh, very, stood out very much to me. Um, Remy Martin really got got held back. I feel like by the Villanova guards, Justin Moore and uh, Colin Gillespie did a good job locking him up, as well as uh, Caleb Daniels. But Josh Christopher really, really stood out to me. Yeah, and he didn't have the greatest game against Rhode Island. Was held to less than 15 points. Uh, decent debut. I believe he had 12. Uh, still, his impact is still 
uh, made on the defensive side of the floor as well. Uh, he's a high energy guy. He can lock up uh, anywhere, probably one through four. Uh, for being for being a kind of a two guard, uh, he's very versatile. Uh, but then Villanova, he kind of had his coming out party. Uh, 28 points, uh, three for five from three, 11 for 17 from the field. Uh, so he had a very impressive showing, showing that he uh, is going to be one of the best players of college basketball season, regardless of class. Even though he is a true freshman, he'll still be one of the best uh, in the country. Not able to get it done, uh, but Arizona State, thankful that he showed up because uh, his 28 uh, definitely took away from Remy Martin, who struggled heavily uh, against Villanova. Only had five points, two for eight from the field. Uh, really, the one thing that he does well is shoot the three and pass the ball. And he was one for five from three and only had two assists. So uh, not not the best performance from the preseason All-American. Uh, but Josh Christopher, uh, the blue chip prospect, comes in, drops 28 in a second ever career game. So uh, Arizona State, look for Josh Christopher all year long. Uh, number 18 in the country, uh, moving up. But. Uh, Josh Christopher, I would say, had one of the most impressive freshman uh, debuts besides uh, Jalen Suggs. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, he came out the gates hot this season. And it, it's going to be interesting to see if he can um, uh, continue that uh, um, hot streak. But, um, Klein, do you want to speak on your take where you said Marcus Bagley is better than Josh Christopher? Do you want to defend that take after after the Villanova game? Yeah, I mean, first game, uh, Bagley clearly outplayed Josh Christopher. I believe he led Arizona State in scoring the, the first game. Um, and, you know, second game, uh, he struggled, I think, from the field in that game. Um, and obviously that was Christopher's, Christopher's better game. But uh, Everett has an off night. Kate Cunningham didn't have a great night. His, uh, his first game. So I look for Marcus Bagley to be just as big a piece for Arizona State this season as Josh Christopher is. And I think it would be interesting how they use all three of those guys, um, Martin, uh, Christopher, and Bagley. And then I also want to say, you guys both said that you or I would, would be able to hang with, if not upset, uh, Arizona State the first round of the tournament. I said Boston College would be able to hang with, if not upset, Villanova. And uh, we, we kind of had both. Um, yeah, we did. We, we had both. two good games, two good close games there. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah. Uh, URI definitely struggled with foul trouble against ASU, though. Fats yeah. Russell. Fa- yeah, I mean, in fact, Fats Russell had, what, two points in the first half of that game? Yeah. Without the guy who's by far their best player, Arizona State led by – I mean, very little throughout throughout most of that game, and even with with pretty much without Fats Russell being uh, being an impact. So I thought yeah. those were two good games. Yeah, yeah I, Fats I Russell. Fats Russell picked up his fourth in the first half. Yeah, we with a minute and a half left in the first half, which that's just unheard of. I mean, you look at college coaches typically take the two fouls, and you're just sitting for the rest of the half. Uh, obviously, Fats Russell plays a huge part in, in Rhode Island's production, uh, so. David Cox didn't want to do that uh, with Fats Russell because, you know, he didn't want to fall behind uh, too early in the game and not give himself a chance. So he played Fats Russell with three fouls, uh, knowing the potential impact. Fats Russell picked up his fourth foul uh, and played a majority of the second half. 
uh, which was surprising. He didn't pick up his fifth foul for really a good amount of time in that second half. So uh, did pick up his fifth. Rhode Island wasn't able to get the job done. Uh, still a close game, only six points, 94-88. Uh, but uh, Rhode Island definitely relies on Fats Russell, who, you know, is expected. One of the best players in uh, in the A-10. Uh, obviously, Villanova played a very tough game against BC as well. BC surprised me. I'm gonna I'm gonna be straight up. I didn't think that they they were gonna be that good coming into this season, and they did. They hung with Villanova the entire game. And props to the Eagles, props to Jay Heath and those guys. Heath obviously day to day with a foot injury, right, Klein? Is that what you broke? He is playing tonight. I'm told his MRI came back negative on Sunday. Okay, that's good to hear. Jay Heath, obviously a very big part of that Boston College offense and defense. But uh, something that really stood out to me was the three-point ability of that Eagles team. They just didn't seem to miss. I, I think to start the game, you're right. They, they really weren't missing at all. And the guard plays the yeah, strength yeah, of that as far, team. Yeah, Clearly, yeah. the guard plays the strength of that team. Um, they're yes. four deep at the guard position, right? They have Tabs, Heath, uh, and then the Lankford brothers, Makai Ash and Lankford, and DeMar Lankford. Um at the end of the game, I thought their shot selection was bad, and they kind of shot themselves out of the game with a bunch of deep threes. Mm-hmm. But when it was going for them, you're, you're right, they were shooting well. And I think it's clear that guard play is is the propellant for both of those teams, Boston College and URI. But as far as um, the front court goes for uh, Boston College, they looked very good as well defensively. I, I told you guys, Stephon Mitchell is, is a great player. Um, and I compared him to Jeremiah Robinson Earl. And I think Jeremiah Robinson Earl did outplay him, and Jeremiah Robinson Earl is going to outplay a lot of people this year. Um, but I think you saw that Stephon Mitchell and Boston College are not a bad team, and they're better than yeah. I think a lot of people projected them to be uh, in the ACC. Yeah. Oh, but but talking about that game, Boston College Villanova going to Villanova. Uh, how about their first week? Obviously, they go and they win the Empire Classic against ASU. Then they schedule on a what was it a one day twenty four hour notice? They schedule a game against Virginia Tech. Yeah, they scheduled like an hour after the uh, the uh, ASU game. They scheduled a game against Virginia Tech, did they not? And we talked about this in our MTE preview. Uh, was we're gonna get some benefits out of uh, all of this, you know, circus college basketball uh, scheduling. And I said we're gonna get some good games out of it. Uh, and you know, we're not gonna, you know, we're gonna get some cancellations, but uh, I would say that this uh, Villanova Virginia Tech was it was a prime example uh, of benefits that we get from this uh, circus showing Villanova and Virginia Tech both have an opening in their schedule, uh, they both decide to play, and it worked out for Virginia Tech scheduling on short notice. Uh, they knock off Villanova in overtime, great game on Saturday night. Uh, so number three, Villanova. Uh, was one of the best teams in college basketball and, you know, goes down early and picks up their first loss three games in the season. Yeah, that – as a Villanova fan, that game was pretty tough to watch. Uh, Virginia Tech, all the credit to them. They played amazing. And they're obviously – what are they, uh, five for their last seven now against top three teams? They were four for six with going into that game, right? No, I believe they're they're – they're now four of their last six against top five teams with that win. They got to uh, four of the last six, which That's is pretty crazy. Um, yeah. But I think 
The biggest takeaway I had from that game, it didn't do a lot to move Villanova down my rankings. I moved them from, I think I had them third and I moved them down to eighth, um, which, you know, a top five team being upset by an unranked team usually moves you down a lot more. Um, but they just looked tired to me. They didn't necessarily yeah. look bad. They just looked tired to me. Um, and that's what you get playing your third game in four days. This, these are not NBA players. These are these guys are not used to playing every single night. Um, and Virginia Tech was playing just their second game of the season. So I, I think they had fresher legs, and I think that helped them win, especially when the game goes into overtime. And, yeah. and the other thing, when you look at the box score, is Gillespie, Caleb Daniels, Jeremiah Robinson are all clocked more than 40 minutes uh, in a 45-minute game uh, with overtime. So – uh, Gillespie played 43 minutes. I mean, he got taken out for two minutes in the span of a 45-minute game. Uh, so you talk about how, how tired they were, but when you've got, uh, like I said, Gillespie, Caleb Daniels, and Jeremiah Robinson Earl picking up 40-plus minutes, uh, and then Jermaine Samuels picking up 38 minutes more, picking up 39, and the bench combined for less than 20 minutes. Uh, you know, no one has more than 20 minutes coming off the bench. You know, that's what you're going to get. Uh, so... Villanova, a little gassed, uh, especially having to play those extra five uh, didn't help them one bit. But uh, I, don't, I wouldn't say Virginia Tech really played their best game either. I think a lot of teams left it out on the floor. Uh, Diara is a big guy for Virginia Tech, who I thought was going to make a huge impact, uh, the transfer. Uh, and he, he was one for eight off the bench with five points. You know, he's a guy that if Virginia Tech wants to compete with some of the top of the ACC, uh, he's going to have to play a lot better than one for eight, but obviously it was enough to get the job done against Villanova. They had multiple guys step up uh, off the bench and Aluma playing uh, uh, 39 minutes, scoring 23. So uh, Villanova goes down. Virginia Tech moves to 2-0. and uh, But nonetheless, it was still a very exciting game. So mm-hmm. I, think, I think there's been this dilemma created in college basketball this season because – there's one thing, and Jay Wright talked about this. I actually asked him about this in the post-game press conference. He said, he, he told us he did not regret taking that game, even despite the loss. And because you never know when something could go wrong, and all of a sudden your team is gone, and your schedule is wiped out for two weeks, you need to try and get as many games as possible because you need 13 games to be eligible for the NCAA tournament this year. And because of that, you're someone like Jay Wright gets an opportunity to play a game. Here's a dilemma. This is going to be our third game in four nights. This is a good opponent. We're going to be tired. We could lose, but we also could need this game, right? Yep. You never know what's going to happen. So it creates that dilemma. And Tommy Bennett's Virginia team had the same dilemma, and they were bit by it as well. They lost to San Francisco in a game that was scheduled just 48 hours uh, before. And, and I thought there was a similar – situation with Virginia, they just didn't look like they were prepared for that game against San Francisco. San Francisco came in, they played faster than Virginia. Um, they shot the ball better than Virginia. And the, the dynamic offense that Virginia appeared to have with Sam Hauser in the game against Towson did not show up for the game against San Francisco. Yeah, it completely disappeared. I mean, that game had a combined 45 points at halftime. I mean, it was 21-24. Uh, it obviously kicked a little bit. In the second half, teams got in rhythm. Uh, but final score was still 61-60. So it was still a low-scoring game. And you expect that from Virginia teams. I mean, that's Tony Bennett, and that's the Virginia culture. Uh, you know, you're never going to see a team score more than, you know, 70, 75 against Virginia. And when you do, it's very rare. So 
Uh, we knew Virginia was going to have great defense, but what disappeared in this one, uh, of course, was their offense. So uh, San Francisco is still one of the best mid-majors. Todd Golden runs an excellent program, and he'll be looking for a Power 5 job at the end of this season. I uh, can guarantee that now. Uh, he's one of the best young minds in college basketball. But uh, Virginia, you know, Sam Hauser, who went, uh, you know, him and Trey Murphy had two of the best games of their careers in the opener against Housen. And then they go and they combine for, for 14 points. You know, Jay Huff, who's supposed to be an all ACC, has four points. Uh, so they obviously they have a lot of uh, weaknesses. One one positive was Reese Beekman, the true freshman, uh, was their uh, leading scorer with 11. But uh, other than that, Virginia still has a lot to work on if they want to contend for the ACC title. Yeah, like if you're going to contend for a conference title or just anything in general, you can't have your best guys fall off as hard as they did as far as Jay Huff and uh, Joey Hauser did. Like that's just – oh, it's it's Sam, it's unacceptable. Sam. Sam Hauser, yeah, my apologies. Uh, it's just kind of unacceptable, right? Like obviously those guys are tired. They just played a game two, ga- two games two days prior. But, I mean, if you're looking to beat – a team like San Francisco, who they should beat pretty handily, you can't have that happen. And obviously, credit to San Francisco. They're a good team. They're a good mid-major team, one of the better ones in the country. But you just can't have that happen. Yeah, they lost, but they lost two days prior San Francisco did to UMass Lowell, who was ranked outside of Ken Palm's top 300. That's one of the worst teams in the country, which is a really bad luck for the Cavs. Yes, that was definitely a shocker. That does raise the question, is Virginia an outside top 300 team in the country at this point? So Many are asking. I'm going to lean on no. I think San Francisco just played very well. I'm going to say Virginia is in the top 300. Uh, I, but they have, a, they have a bottom 300 offense. It looked like it in the first half, only putting up 24 points. Uh, but back to what... Klein was saying earlier about, you know, coaches and, you know, Tony Bennett saying that, that he was happy he took the game. Uh, this is this is what you get. You know, this is what you get uh, come a conference tournament time and come March Madness. You know, you have a day off in March Madness, but uh, within that round of 64 and round of 32 and in the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight, you know, you only have a day off, you know, so – uh, Virginia and Villanova, I get it that it's not it's not typical non-conference play, but, you know, you still – I would say that's good to experience uh, playing back-to-back days. And uh, it might not look – it might not look great right now for Virginia and Villanova, but uh, we could see this experience playing back-to-back and playing two or three games in a short span of time, uh, helping them in February and March. Moving on to some other games and other teams – Obviously, Virginia, uh, West Virginia coming away with the, with the title at the um, Bad Boy Mowers. Uh, what was the new name that they had for it? Not crossover the Classic. Yes, the Crossover Classic at the uh, in um, Sanford, South Dakota. Um, the shocker team of that tournament, the big surpriser for just about everybody here is Western Kentucky, making it all the way to the finals, taking down one cent and his Memphis Tigers in the semifinal. 
and taking down a very good uh, Northern Iowa team in the first round as well, and moving their way into the top twenty-five. Did the uh, did the Hilltoppers Hilltoppers versus Mountaineers final, which I found to be kind of ironic. Two mountain-based names, hill-based names. That's irrelevant, but they look very good. They can hang with just about any team in the country. And a big part of that is a potential first-round pick, Charles Bassey. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. there was no question that he was going to be one of the best uh, college basketball players and not even mid-majors. I don't think it's really a question uh, whether or not he's he's one of the best, if not the best mid-major player in college basketball. Uh, and Charles Bassey showed why in this crossover classic playing three games in three days. Uh, and to be honest, I thought they would be gassed heading into this West Virginia game, but uh, they competed. They were up at half, uh, let it go in the second half, lost by six. Uh, but West Virginia is obviously a really good team. Derek Culver, Oscar Shibwe, Miles McBride, uh, some some of the best players in the Big 12 there. So uh, Western Kentucky is definitely uh, on everyone's radar now, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I don't know if they've got an at-large berth in their future, but, uh, you know, I, I don't think it's – unrealistic at all to think that they can't win their conference tournament knowing that they're one of the best 25 teams in the country. What impressed me the most about them, and I'm not surprised they weren't tired out because it's, it's not exactly hard to uh, to slow things down and, and not tire yourselves out against West Virginia. That's always a very slow game. Um, but they made two really good teams look really bad uh, in Memphis and Northern Iowa, and Charles Bassey just dominated inside. I mean, just could not be stopped, especially in that Memphis game. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely not only a, an NBA player, but a first-round pick and possibly a lottery pick. Um, and like you guys said, uh, Western Kentucky entered our, our top 25 rankings, so I don't see why they could not uh, get an at-large berth. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it's, it's not typical, but if they keep playing like this and they can knock off teams like they did and they can hang around with – top 10, top 15 teams like West Virginia, why not? Yeah, like obviously a team that's consistently in the top 25 is going to get an at-large bid. Like that's just how it works. But speaking of mid-major teams taking down ranked teams, San Diego State took down number 22 ranked UCLA uh, in day one. That's a big that, – that proves that San Diego State has a consistent winning program. They obviously lost Malachi Flynn this year to the NBA draft. So there was a lot of questions as to whether San Diego State would be able to continue the success that they had last year. And those question marks are gone for me. I think that they're a great team still, obviously proving that they can hang with a good team, a good ranked team, beating a very, very talented UCLA team, obviously led by Chris Smith. And it was a very impressive win for the Aztecs. Yeah, and Sandy, or in that San Diego State game, you know, you they're not going to be where they were last year. I mean, they yeah. were a two-three last year. Or that's what they really projected going into uh, the tournament before everything got canceled. But uh, they're not even close to that this year. Uh, but uh, a big thing w- with UCLA w- was their injuries. Uh, Johnny Juicing was out. Uh, obviously, they still had Tiger Campbell and Chris Smith, Cody Riley. And Jamie Jaquez Jr., but Jalen Hill was out as well. Yeah, yeah, and that was another one. It was Jalen Hill. So Jalen Hill and Johnny just saying two big scores for UCLA. Uh, Mm -hmm. I don't know if they'd be enough to beat San Diego State. They still look like they have some issues. UCLA 
uh, lost uh, or beat Pepperdine, I should say. Uh, but it took him to took him to overtime. So uh, still a uh, triple overtime to beat Pepperdine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, Pepperdine's say, a very underrated team, though. That's someone that gets slept on a lot. They're one of the, someone that UCLA should have trouble with going into that's the season true. where they're but they're one of the better they're one of the better teams in the WCC. But especially when UCLA is is preseason top twenty five, you know they were ranked twenty second, uh, and I get it. You have injuries, but you still have enough firepower on your offensive and defensive side, uh, where you think that you you know don't need triple overtime to beat Pepperdine, and you can at least it wasn't even close with San Diego State. I mean seventy three fifty eight was the final, so you know it's not even really close at that point a 15 point game uh against San Diego State who lost Malachi Flynn uh you know it kind of spoke a lot to me about UCLA uh and what they can do this year I I had them as one of the best teams in the Pac-12 but uh now a lot of question marks about them and they really need to figure it out before uh before conference play in in December Mm -hmm. Yeah, the uh, the Bruins got some things to figure out coming into coming into conference play in December. But uh, moving on, uh, Duke obviously played their first game. They didn't look great. They struggled. They definitely struggled. Who was the team they played again? Coppin State. Thank you, Coppin State. They only beat them by about ten points. Duke, obviously, you weren't very high on them coming into this year, as you mentioned in our ACC preview. I'm starting to see that as well. Uh, I don't think that they're going to be one of the top teams in the ACC this year. We're going to have a great game tomorrow night, and that's going to be a great evaluation uh, is the Champions Classic against Michigan State uh, happening tomorrow night at 730. It's going to be the the first of the doubleheader. Uh, but Michigan State-Duke, uh, we'll see. Duke, like you, like I said, like you said, didn't look impressive. Jalen Johnson's probably their one bright spot, and he was very bright. 19 points, 19 rebounds as a true freshman uh, in his first game at the Division One level. So uh, very impressive showing. Uh, DJ Stewart uh, played fairly well, uh, having 24, but uh, still giving up 71 to Coppin State uh, is interesting. So I wouldn't be surprised to see them go down by Michigan State tomorrow, but uh, excited for that one, 7.30 on ESPN. Uh, bright lights for uh, for Michigan State Duke. Mm-hmm. And someone to keep your eye on for that game, at least for the Spartans, is uh, point guard Aaron Henry, uh, who's played well to start the season. Obviously, one of the better players on this team, him, Rocket Watts. Um, they obviously add Joey. Ha- is it Joey? Yeah. They obviously add Joey Hauser. Um, and we should see them play against UVA soon in the Hauser Bowl, as Adam named it, if everything goes correctly. But I'm excited to watch that Duke, uh, Duke-Michigan Duke State game. Yeah, and I would say that's definitely the better of the games. Uh, Kentucky, who we'll get into uh, right after this, they play Kansas in the late one. But Duke-Michigan State, top 10 matchup. Uh, it'll definitely be uh, a, great, a great game. Uh, Michigan State undefeated, Duke undefeated. Uh, so that's that will lead off the Champions Classic, and then we could get into uh, uh, Kentucky, Kansas. Both teams uh, having trouble in the early going. Uh, Kentucky losing to Richmond. Yeah, Kansas playing it close uh, with St. Joe's, and then obviously uh, losing pretty pretty defeatedly to uh, to Gonzaga. So uh, early takeaways from Kentucky guys. I mean, losing to a to a good Richmond team, but. 
uh, still not not at the expectation we typically see Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and Kentucky obviously falling to a Richmond, and not only falling but getting dominated. It seems they lost by twelve points to Richmond at home. And it's very hard to lose at Rupp Arena. Obviously, it's not as hard as it used to be with the fan with no fans and whatnot. But that's not what you think you see from a Kentucky team. Nonetheless, one of the more talented teams in the country. Yeah, and Richmond's impressive. They're experienced. Uh, they've got they've got experienced bigs. They've got good guards. Uh, so. You know, it wasn't a surprise to see Richmond in this game, but it was a surprise to see them uh, come away with the win by 12. Uh, Olivier Saar looked good with a double-double. B.J. Boston looked good with a double-double. He had 20 and 10. Uh, But outside of those two, uh, really, I would say no one else really looked too great. Uh, Mm -hmm. Losing to Richmond in the early going. We'll see if they get back on track with Kansas. I assume that they will win that game uh, tomorrow night, but uh, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, but, both yeah. teams uh, definitely have their struggles early on. Yeah, another thing I was going to say is it's not like Richmond's a bad team. Like the Blue Book had them ranked. A lot of other people coming into the season had them ranked as well. The AP didn't. But they're the best team in the in the uh, Atlantic Ten right now. Them, Dayton, uh, URI, another good team in the A Ten, and but, St. Louis, obviously. Yeah, and so St. Louis, the Billikens for state, staked their case for for best team in the A Ten, also. Yeah, taking down LSU, another good SEC team. Trendon Watford, one of the best players in the SEC on that LSU team, but they they lost to St. Louis, and the A Ten is really. Shaping up to be a great conference this the year. The A10 could be a legitimate multi-bid league going forward. Yes. If if we see them throw a, a team, I don't think we're going to see them throw a, an NCAA tournament one seed out there every year like they were going to last year with Dayton. Um, but if they continue to throw top teams out there, they're a multi-bid league. To me, Richmond's a tournament team. Uh, St. Louis is a tournament team. And if Davidson plays like they did against Texas, that game just wrapped up as we record. Uh, they could be a tournament team too. I agree. And I think that there's more teams in the A-10 that could potentially make their way into that category as well. Obviously, URI needs to step it up more uh, as the season goes on. But there are a bunch of teams in the A-10 that can really, really play their way into the tournament. And it's going to be exciting because mid-majors sort of are on the come-up again. Like – doesn't yeah. you don't you don't need to be a power team to make your way into the upper echelon of college basketball anymore? And, and, and I saw, love that. We saw it last year with Dayton as a one seed and Senior USC with a potential two seed. So uh, without a doubt, that mid majors are definitely on the come up, and we're seeing them uh, more frequently compete with with the like you said, the upper echelon teams in college basketball. Can we make a general podcast-wide agreement that Gonzaga is not a mid-major? Yes, absolutely. Not a mid-major. Well, yeah, because you look at them year after year. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, consistent one seed in the tournament, consistently ranked inside the top five. I feel like it's generally agreed on by the media that they're not even a mid-major. Okay, cool. For me, that really does it for this past week in college basketball. What, what about you guys? You guys got anything else to say? Uh, okay, I'm going to go. I'll go first. Uh, Ohio guard Jason Preston, 
who was yes. very, very low, less, re- not recruited very highly out of high school. He wasn't recruited uh, at all. Yeah, not recruited at all. Had one offer from Ohio, uh, went out and played terrific basketball against Illinois and against Ayo DeSumo, almost pulling off the upset. Should have pulled off it. the upset, by the way. Yeah, so Ohio, uh, I would say the one thing, uh, one great takeaway from this uh, first uh, week of college basketball would be Jason Preston and the Ohio Bobcats performance against uh, Illinois. Fine, you want to go? Yeah, my uh, one great takeaway would probably be the undefeated Syracuse Orange um, battling through a 12, I believe they got all the way to 16 point deficit against a, a ferocious Brian Bulldogs team. Um, yeah, Syracuse did not look good. Uh, they lost their starting center, who we just found out, Torres Meniscus, in the, early in the first half. He will be out four weeks. Um, but they, they powered through, and, and they go to win. And, and there are two tough games coming up against Niagara and Ryder. Um, and uh, my guy that I was interested in, someone to follow, is Darnell Rogers of the UMBC Golden Retriever, standing at five foot two. Shout out to all the short kings around the world. But I'm um, standing at five foot two, had 13 points against the uh, Georgetown Hoyas, uh, falling 70 to 62. But um, I mean, that's awesome. He's five foot two, shorter than Muggsy Bogues, going out against a power six conference team and having 13 points. I mean, that's incredible. He's shorter than I am. They're not saying something. Yeah, yeah that is. Say, if you guys have never seen uh, Patrick, that is, that is saying something. It's an, it's it's incredible. He was definitely like my favorite thing to watch this week. <laughs> hashtag shout hashtag short king. But um yeah, I mean that's all we've got for this week. Uh with CVB three six five. Um obviously a lot of great games coming up coming up this week. We move slow we inch closer and closer to conference play. Uh, Adam, you got anything you want to say? Nope, full swing, baby. Uh we're on a roll. Uh, college basketball Maui Invitational this week, Champions Classic this week. Uh, so uh, multiple good games for the for the television to flip them on. All right, we'll send we'll send it to Jay Klein now. Uh, two little announcements. Uh, well, first of all, we'll be back later in the week, I assume, at some point for the rest of the Maui, as Adam said, and also the Champions Classic, which will be two fun games. Very sad that Dickie V is calling a game. I was hoping that would not happen this year. Um, but alas, here we are. Uh, and the other thing is uh, keep an eye on our picks on the CBB Reasons that I call Instagram and bet the opposite of whatever we say. So we are all below 500. Um, I'm only like two games below 500. So like, I'm not terrible. So pathetic performance from all of us. Though. Yeah. I, Klein so said this in the group chat. We are, we are the, we are the NFC East of college basketball gambling picks. So for this episode, uh, our first in-season episode of CBB 365, uh, for producer Jake Klein, I'm Adam Hipsky, along with co-host Patrick Galhan, and that'll do it from our first episode, uh, mid-season of College Basketball.